This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. It is, uh, I... It's unlikely in the minds of the trajectory that it was fired from Russia, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. This has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is a place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Do it now. Do it for the holidays. Do it for America. Use the promo code Stu to save 10 bucks. If you're watching this on YouTube, like the video right now. Click follow. Click the bell. Do all the things. Jason Howerton is here to talk to us about Elon and how he's doing with Twitter. Joe Biden continues to fight for his unconstitutional student debt relief. How's that working out for him? But we start by doing Taylor Swift. Yes, we're doing Taylor Swift today. You might say, oh, Stu, you probably love that title, don't you? She looks too much like a cat to me. I'm not attracted to Taylor Swift in any way. She looks uh, positively feline. I don't know what it is. It's a weird thing. But look, she's a big star. And big stars make a lot of news. But first, before we get to all of that, let's talk a little bit about politics. And we'll talk about the latest reason Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a victim. Hey, hey, what do you say? Ah, yes, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Her defining characteristic is not that she's a socialist or not that she's just really annoying. It's that she's always the victim of something, and she's a victim of something else today. Yes, Ocasio-Cortez has called for Ticketmaster to be to be broken up amid Taylor Swift drama. Yes, who knew AOC was a Swifty? Mm-hmm, here she is, uh, right by her computer buying tickets. I'm pretty sure that's a legitimate picture or something close to it. Uh, she's very upset because apparently a lot of people couldn't get their Taylor Swift tickets yesterday. And that's a reason, of course, to rant on about capitalism and the evils of big corporations. I mean, this is a real headline I, I hold in my hand right now. Ticketmaster cancels Taylor Swift tickles, ticket sales. Congress wants answers. The, with all the crap going on in the world, they want answers about the Taylor Swift ticket sale? Well, that's why Alexandria is a victim today. Hey, hey, what do you say? How is Alexandria a victim today? No, I'm serious. She, she, do, she does look like a cat. I'm serious. She looks like a cat. Put, put a side-by-side up with a cat and Taylor Swift. I mean, I'll, you can't really tell there. She, it's a little bit of a distant picture. Do, do we have something that, another picture of her looking like a cat? Look at that. We did, by the way, the picture you're looking at is not a Photoshop. That is actually how Taylor Swift looks. She looks like a cat. And like some people might be attracted to cats. I don't know. Just not my thing. We went through all the different uh, genders and uh, sexual orientations yesterday in the show. One of them has to be I'm attracted to Taylor Swift as a cat. It's just not me. It's not my thing. Might be your thing. Not my thing. Taylor Swift has responded to all the, the uh, crazy uh, back and forth. Basically, yesterday there was a big ticket sale. It was actually a pre-sale 
for Taylor Swift tickets. She's got the big tour going on, and now Congress is freaking out about it because I guess some people had to wait a long time to buy their Taylor Swift tickets, which is a totally legitimate thing for Washington to be worried about in the middle of everything that's going on. Taylor Swift says, well, it goes without saying that I'm extremely protective of my fans. I know when I'm protective of something, I charge them hundreds of dollars to be in the same room as me. That's how I protect most of the people around me. Um, I, what we, we've been doing this for decades together, and over the years, I've brought so many elements of my career in-house. I've done this specifically to improve the quality of my fans' experience by doing it myself with a team who care about much about my fans as I do. It's really difficult for me to trust an outside entity with these relationships and loyalties, and excruciating for me to watch mistakes happen with no recourse. There are a multitude of reasons why people had such a hard time trying to get tickets, and I'm trying to figure out how the situation can be improved by moving forward. Meow. And I'm not going, that's weird she said that. I'm not going to make excuses for anyone because we asked them multiple times if they could handle this kind of demand, and we were assured that they could. It's truly amazing that 2.4 million people got tickets, but it really pisses me off that a lot of them feel like they went through several bear attacks to get them, blah, 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 blah. So she's trying to obviously smooth this over. The little detail she throws in there is mildly important that 2.4 million people bought tickets. How big of a disaster could it be? Has there ever been a day where 2.4 million people bought tickets to a single event in history? Has that ever occurred? I mean, it's kind of a successful day. You think she wouldn't be bitching about it so much, but she's Taylor Swift. So she is. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. There's a lot of demand for Taylor Swift these days. She's one of like three or four big stars that can really sell out a whole tour without even thinking about it. When she releases new music, everyone goes crazy. And, uh, you know, it's, again, not my thing. I don't get it, but uh, some people like it, and whatever. I'm not the person who makes these decisions for everyone, unfortunately. It would be a much better world if I did. But I will say, when you take Taylor Swift tickets, and you know she's the most popular artist around, and she hasn't been on tour in a while, and she's got a new album out, and she knows everyone's talking about it, and they got a really good sense of how much demand there was, pricing tickets at $49 is probably not realistic. People are going to want to buy those tickets at $49 and then sell them for $800. That's kind of how the market works. And, you know, every politician on the left, the people that you want elected, Taylor, have tried this scheme before. It's been tried many, many times over and over again. But here's the truth. Price controls don't work. They never work. What we're trying to do here, I guess, if we're Taylor Swift, is we're supposed to try to control the prices to get all the good fans the seats. We try to sell them at $49 because we don't want scalpers to get them. They will raise the prices. Those darn scalpers. And by the way, how, how come that word hasn't been canceled yet? I mean, that's got to be around the corner, right? Scalpers? It's not okay. Um, here's the uh, quote from uh, the, the people over at Ticketmaster. We sold two million tickets, the most we've ever sold in one day in history. Another million tickets of other artists on the same day. So although we regret it was a slowdown in some queues and some error codes for a short period for some fans, we did manage to recover. It was known that the sale was going to be a big deal after 3.5 million people pre-registered the largest verified fan registration in history. That led to Swift's tour team, managed by AEG and the Messina Touring Group, to add more shows, doubling the dates and tickets. Approximately 1.5 million people were invited to participate in the pre-sale, with another 2 million people on a waiting list. Now, another way that Taylor Swift protects her fans is she makes them all sign up for Capital One credit cards or something so they can get on the list 
Just totally. That's that's fan protection, guys. That's what it is. Uh, you had to be, I guess, you go through Capital One to get this done. But it was, here's the thing, when you do a pre-sale, you know a lot of people, you know exactly how long the line is to get in. You know how many people uh, are there. You know the demand is high. And when you know the demand is high, what you could do is think about the market. What you could do is price the tickets appropriately. You could sell the tickets at market price. And this is something that uh, evil capitalists do. And I know Taylor Swift is just a person of the people. She does not want any money. I mean, sure, she's got so much, she should never spend it all in any circumstance, but that's not what this is about. It's about her art. It's about her art and how much she wants to tell you how sad she is after she broke up with someone or something. Look, I have absolutely zero criticism on how much money Taylor Swift makes. She should make it all. I mean, I, she should make every dime that she can. And I can understand wanting to take care of your fans. There's nothing wrong with that. There are ways you can do it other than pricing all a bunch of your tickets way under market value so that obviously you're incentivizing people like scalpers to come in, buy the tickets, and then sell them at a much higher price. Well, what does that do? Then it screws a bunch of your other fans who have to buy it much, much at a much, much higher price. And, and I, I have to say this, but it's like, you're also screwing Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is screwing Taylor Swift. It's true. Shouldn't she get the money from this instead of some ticket agent? Why is she the one that doesn't get the money? She should get the money herself. It's her freaking stadium tour. She's the one out there mildly singing on key in a bunch of songs that I don't know. She's the one that should get the reward for that. There's nothing wrong with, with that scenario. But instead, like these places want to put us through this weird obstacle course. You got to pre-register here. You got to show up at this time. You need to wait in this queue. You need to do 25. You need to stand on your head while you're ordering. All of these weird things you have to do to buy the freaking tickets. Just let me buy the tickets. Let me buy the tickets. And then set them at a price that the market can bear. Then you'll have people actually buying them. If you want the if you're thinking to yourself, well, I've got some very poor fans out there and they can't afford these tickets or honestly, at these prices, I've got some upper middle class fans that can't afford these tickets. Then you can take a bunch of tickets on your own and give them away for zero dollars. You can select them all from your email list. You probably have 10 years of history of every Taylor Swift fan in the world who's out there trying to get tickets for your stupid shows. Give it away to some of them. Who are the most dedicated? Go, you know you got all the data on them already. How much is their household income? Give it away that way if you want. I don't care what you do. But the idea that you're going to go and, and create this much demand, which they obviously did, they knew how much it was, and then you have a couple computer crashes and we're going to investigate through Congress? It makes absolutely no sense. And there's this weird thing that we all do is we say, oh, well, you know what? They just want to get their real fans to buy the tickets. Well, how do you define a real fan? What is a real fan here? A real fan in the minds of artists are people who I think just can't afford the tickets. That's the only thing we don't know how. Look, it could be someone who doesn't even know any Taylor Swift songs. But if they sign up through Capital One credit cards, then they're a real fan. Those people are the real fans. The people who, who, who want to get the $49 tickets because maybe that's all they can afford. There's nothing wrong with not being able to afford high priced tickets. But just because you can afford high priced tickets doesn't make you a crappier fan. You know, I've gone to see shows across the country from time to time. Sometimes I've had to spend way too much on tickets. Sometimes I've had to fly into the city. Sometimes I've had to book a hotel room. Does that make me a bad fan because I wanted to get the best seats possible and didn't mind spending money to get them? 
Am I a worse fan than the person who wants to take up their entire morning to get $49 tickets? I don't think so. Uh, you know, the way this works out when you have a market priced system is that, hey, people who get there, they might get the early tickets. Maybe they get some good prices. But other people who are willing to give up more of their resources to go to a show to get better seats are going to pay more. And that's probably how it should go. I mean, for someone who 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 obviously knows a lot about business, she doesn't know a lot about business. Now, here's the thing. And, I, and Congress is trying to get involved in this, but this is this is difficult for Congress people to understand, like AOC, who thinks you know, AOC has this vision of the Constitution, which is basically, what do I want? Do I want something? If the answer to that is yes, then it's constitutional. Do I not want something? If the answer to that is no, then it's unconstitutional. That's how she thinks. And here's the thing. There's no constitutional right to Tay-Tay. There's nowhere in the Constitution does it say, you know what you can do? You can go to a Taylor Swift concert. You can be in the exact same room as Taylor Swift at some time when she's sort of pseudo playing the guitar. That's not something that exists in the Constitution. You don't have a right. Some people don't get to go to the concerts. That's not that shocking, is it? I mean, we all, I remember growing up, you'd want to go to a concert, it would get sold out, you'd be angry, you'd move on with your life. Now, we are so soft and so entitled that we are going to go to Congress to complain about not being able to get Taylor Swift concert tickets? What the hell is going on? I mean, hopefully this Russia thing doesn't blow up into a wider war because we are screwed. Ticketmaster said, even when high demand goes, uh, a high demand on sale goes flawlessly from a tech perspective, many fans are left empty handed. For example, based on the volume of traffic on her site, Taylor would need to perform over 900 stadium shows, almost 20 times the number of shows she's doing. That's a stadium show every single night for the next two and a half years. Well, one of the things you can do if you want to lower prices is do more shows. Taylor Swift's already done that. Look, there's a lot of demand. And, you know, you can just keep doing shows till the end of time, till every single person is sick of watching you sing. It might take a while, but you could theoretically do it. But the, the idea that we're completely a soft nation is what's, what's intriguing me about this. Think about where we are. AOC wants to blame capitalism. Yeah, so people are so, so money hungry that they're trying to screw all these little people. And that's me. I'm going to stand up. What's her face? Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar is out there ranting about this. Look, this is capitalism at work. And capitalism at work is a good thing. Capitalism gets a terrible, terrible, terrible short end of the stick almost all the time. And I think everyone actually inherently knows this, but they, they will never admit it. AOC certainly will never admit it. You know, if you go back a little ways, I don't know, a couple hundred years, how could you see music? How could you hear music? Your only option was to be in the same room with someone who was playing it. That's all there was. At the back in the day, there was some guy playing a piano or a violin somewhere. And if you happened to be in the same room, you heard it. And that was basically it. And over time, capitalism, innovation, created a very inexpensive way to record music and play it back first on record and then eight track and then cassette and then CD. And you could go to a record store and buy pretty much any piece of music that you wanted for just a few bucks and go back and listen to it as many times as you wanted. We take that for granted because of course it's been here our entire lives, but it never existed before this, before this experiment here in the United States. There was never a way to do that. It never existed. It was never a thing. You had to be super duper wealthy and elitist and be in the same room as Beethoven. That was basically the only thing you could do. And then 
we got recorded music. And I remember as a kid, think of the things I went through. I had to go to record stores, CD stores to find the music, to buy it, crawling over. I think it was uphill both ways. And I had to crawl over other people, bashing them in the heads with my elbows, climbing over to get the last copy of some ridiculous CD that I don't even remember now. We had to do this. We had to spend, I had to spend tons and tons of money to get a music collection I was happy with. That's what we used to do. And now capitalism, while still at work, has given every Tay-Tay fan the opportunity to hear every single song ever recorded in human history for free. That's how everyone gets it, right? Instead of having everyone in the room with Beethoven, now every single person on earth can get all music, all of it, for free at any time that they want. And you know what happens when all that goes on? People still bitch about it. They still complain. They still whine. It still go. I can't get into my Taylor Swift concert. That's the complaint we hear now. Think about what has happened here. We have now been able to give the gift of music, if that's what you refer to Taylor Swift songs as, and you can hear them as many times as you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, with an unlimited selection for zero dollars. And they're still bitching. And in fact, to add on to that, you could also go buy tickets to basically every other artist on earth and you'd have basically no problems with it. It's one artist on one tour that still, you still got 2.4 million people to get tickets. And Congress has to get involved in that scenario. Guys, this is insane. If we get invaded, they're going to roll through this country in five seconds. And we're all going to be like, but what about Tay-Tay's tour? Is it still going on? I know we're under R Russian rule, but come on, where, where's Taylor? I think maybe it's time to step back and put things into a bit of perspective and maybe tell people like Andrew, uh, 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 Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Amy Klobuchar to zip it. There's nothing here, nothing for you to worry about. If Ticketmaster sucks, then they suck. They're not selling uh, grain and water here. They're selling concert tickets to a show I assure you, you do not need to be at. But that is the state of our country today. Soft and softer. I will say, the only thing people complain more about than Taylor Swift is Twitter. We'll get into that next. We've been brainwashed into believing the only way to grow our money so we can afford Taylor Swift tickets is, uh, well, also retirement, is to risk it in the stock market. You don't have to risk it in the stock market. You can reach your financial goals and dreams without taking any unnecessary risks. Uh, bank on yourself is a better way to grow and protect your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative has never had a losing year in 160 years. They provide guaranteed, predictable growth and retirement income with no luck, skill, or guesswork required. Your plan doesn't go backward when the markets tumble. Both your principal and growth 
are locked in. This is tax-free retirement income, and you are in control of it. Why not investigate this? Understand what it is, how it works. It's a really smart thing for your financial future, and you can do this without government penalties or restrictions on how much you take when you take a loan out later on. Try and do that with a 401k or an IRA. It's not going to happen. Get yourself some peace of mind today with Bank on Yourself. You can get a free report. gives you all the details on how the Bank on Yourself strategy adds guarantees, predictability, and control to your financial plan. Go to bankonyourself.com slash stew. Bankonyourself.com slash stew. Protect your retirement with bankonyourself.com slash stew. I want to bring in Jason Howerton. He is the CEO of Reach Digital and a social media expert, Blaze alum as well. Jason, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. It's been a, it's been a while. Yeah, good, great to see you. Thanks for coming on and doing this. I, I'm fascinated by what on earth is going on at Twitter right now. I mean, we're seeing constant reports of, you know, Elon every other day has another, you know, 100,000 people fired. What is what's the state of affairs right now over there? Well, if you if you were on Twitter for the last like 24 hours, Twitter was supposed to have died last night. It wasn't supposed to exist today. Mm. Was, that was like the reporting that was going on. All the former employees were saying that there's nobody there, so it's going to break, and then nobody can fix it, and it's going to. And so, like, I even saw like some journalists like saying, "I told you, bye." And then, like this morning, I think I responded to one of them that worked at NBC, and I was like, "Hi, everybody's still here. It's it's okay." But they want him so badly to fail. Yeah. They're rooting for Elon to fail so badly that they can't really help themselves. So they think watching this chaos that's happening because it is chaos and it's going to be chaos because he's taking over a company that is hostile to him and so there was always going to be chaos and firings and layoffs and everything else that's going on because for elon he knew that's what he was going into and so you can't run a company with a bunch of people who are going to undermine you or publicly um criticize you like they've been doing to him on, on his on the platform that he owns um and so to me nothing that's happening is surprising to me just as like like uh, knowing business he's coming in he has a job he's taking over an entire company that that most of whom despise him uh, so of course he's going to be trimming the fat the company itself is a mess uh they they're not making money it's been stagnant for for years and years so to me, everything that's happening makes sense. But to the media, it's like they're just so blinded by just like anything else, Trump or anything else. They're so blinded by their hate for Elon that they just can't they just can't quite help themselves. Yeah, it's fascinating because it seems like a big chunk of the problem here is just this massive entitlement of these employees, you know, that they, they think I mean, look. I certainly make fun of Glenn quite a bit as part of my job. But generally speaking, you don't come out and like constantly mock your boss or say t say publicly how dumb they are and then expect to keep your job. That's not something I think anyone that goes into the workforce is thinking. But it seems like the generation, at least that is uh, at Twitter and the type of employees they were hiring at Twitter think they, they should be having they should be able to work from home when they come to work. They should have constant free food and drink. They should be able to leave whenever they want and play foosball and and then at the end of the day they should be able to just you know, f f you know light their boss on fire on a pu in a public venue and expect to keep their jobs the next day i mean that's just not how it works yeah and it's yeah and it's not like people are like elon's firing people who are hurting his feelings um it's not that they're just making it really easy for him he has to cut costs and, and trim employees 
And the easiest way to do that are the people who are going to publicly show that they're not on your side and they're not going to help you in your vision. So there was one guy who was like the funniest. I don't like people losing their jobs, but there was this one guy who like was, you know, he's this employee. He's like, if you're still at Twitter, you have to you protest and call him out and, and quote tweet Elon and call him a liar. And he's like, yeah. And then like 57 minutes later, he posts a tweet of his laptop saying that it's his last day at Twitter. So it's like, <laughs> to, to me, it just, I think it's a good thing for the market in general. I think tech uh, in particular has gotten so used to um, all this easy money and all the, all these crazy valuations. They've got billions of dollars. They've got meditation rooms. They've got this and that. They've got, like you said, this entitlement to where it's pretty hard to get fired at some of these companies. And they've got they've had so much money and so much lack of accountability going around that I think this is good. Everything that's happening, nobody likes a recession. I don't want a recession, but as part of a free market, kind of sometimes you need that reset to come back to reality, to know what the real world is like. And what the real world is like is if you talk crap about your boss publicly, not to say you can't disagree with your boss, call him into a room, but that's probably going to get you fired. And it probably should. Like, <laughs> If you're not about helping your company succeed, then you shouldn't be working there anyway. Yeah, so. it kind of seems like basic. I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't been. I've been in the workforce for a while. It just seems like a really basic thing that people would know. You know, it's funny because, like, I think coming into this, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, the content moderation thing and free speech. And obviously, like, I'm for all of that. I think Elon Musk will do a better job at keeping speech free on Twitter to whatever level you think that is important. But like. I also sort of thought that he would make the site better, right? Like he is a guy who is able to pull off things with Tesla and other companies that no one else seems to be able to do. His products are always really well designed and easy to use. And, and you know, while he tries stuff, he has a lot of trial and error in his other companies. I, I'm a little surprised that some of the stuff he's done mainly from the perspective is it doesn't seem like he's thought it out at all. Like, he, you know, he's he's passing things. He's putting in new policies. He's reversing them hours later. I mean, it does seem this does seem a tad haphazard, does it not? So, OK, so yes and no. Yes. In in the regular world, in Elon world, it's not that strange to me. He's coming in and he's kind of breaking things. And to, to me, that's the way I've seen him kind of behave in that you know, especially initially coming in, he's not, you know, really sticking to one thing or another. So to a lot of people, it feels like it's just chaos. But I think he's he's a unique, obviously a unique individual. And the way he runs companies is a lot different um, and a lot more, I mean, admittedly erratic than you would expect a CEO to run a company. So I think it's, it's early, first of all. He hasn't owned it for very long. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think we've seen the full impact of what he's going to do long term. I do think there is a lot of confusion in some of the verification stuff. Uh, there's still a lot of confusion about what the free speech policy is going to look at. He said today something along the lines of uh, free speech, but not free reach, I think is the way he put it, where, you know, if you're hateful or or negative, then your your tweets will be kind of deranked de in the in the algorithm. And so, like to me, it's like back to square one with Twitter: is well, who decides that? What does that mean? What's hate? Like what's negative? And so, I think there's still a lot of unknowns to it. But I do believe, at least, you know, at a at a base level, that number one, he wants to make money, so he's going to make uh, decisions that are based on that. Number two, I think he does believe in free speech to a certain degree. 
And so I think he's going to respect that better than Twitter does. Is it going to be the Wild Wild West that everybody was hoping it would, or not hoping, but fearing that it would be? No, he's got advertisers he has to make happy, he has to make money. So I think everyone, I think, is just on all sides, is just a little over their skis at this point. He needs time to to experiment, to A-B test, to get the right people in place. He's firing and a lot of people are leaving. Um, and, you're, and what Twitter looks like today is not going to be what Twitter looks like in six months from now. And so I'm kind of sitting back and, and seeing what plays out. And I think everybody else is kind of trying to figure out in the moment what's what's going to happen. Yeah, and I do think he'll get there eventually. I mean, I, I w- the Twitter, I always think about Twitter as a company that's received more free advertising than any company in history. Every news broadcast has, is featuring tweets. They put the Twitter logo up all the time. People are talking about Twitter constantly. And yet this company could not figure out a way to actually make money, possibly because they had thousands of employees who were playing foosball and drinking herbal tea all day and not actually doing anything. So a lot of this stuff, I think, from Elon Musk makes sense. What I think is fascinating to watch right now, though, is are these journalists. Journalists uh, act like they don't like Elon Musk. And I guess they don't like him as a person, but they can't live without Twitter. They are they are obsessed. I feel like it's like 90% of their self-worth is wrapped up in this website. And so they, they are constantly critical of it and, and claiming they're going to leave. Then five minutes later, I'm reading a whole tweet thread uh, from the same people because they can't get enough. I mean, these journalists are addicted to this, and I don't care what Elon does. I can't see them going anywhere else. They No, I think they like there's talk of Mastodon or what like, I haven't been on that platform, but it looks just ridiculous uh, from from the outside. But Twitter is the public square. It, it is. And there's you can't argue with that. It's an important um, it's an important platform for that dis- public discussion. So that's why they're there, because all the people who who are influential in in every really sphere of uh, our society, business, politics, everything else, go there to discuss some of these uh, these issues. So no, they're not going anywhere, but the struggle for them is can, they got really used to what Twitter used to be, which was, an, was, was very friendly to their point of view and very hostile to other point of views. Um, I think there is a middle ground for everybody to be happy on Twitter, but what I've what I've kind of come to see from journalists is they will find the controversy, right? Like, and it's part of the new media model. They will find it doesn't matter if Elon did everything they asked for. Um, they would find the controversy because it's, it's how many million people on that platform. Of course, like as soon as he bought it, they were like finding people who were saying the N word, right? Like, so. <laughs> To me, Elon's the problem. It doesn't matter what he does to to make it a better platform. They're always going to be against him. So really, I just hope that he does not try to you know play to that. He doesn't try to make those people happy, and he just focuses on product, which I think he will. I think that's his. I think in the beginning, I saw him kind of trying to hold their hand a little bit to bring them along, and once he realized uh, it doesn't really matter what I say or do, they just want me to fail and be destroyed. I think he's moved away from that. So I hope he focuses on product and just makes it a better platform because the journalists aren't going anywhere. Nobody's leaving Twitter voluntarily anyway. Um, So that's, I mean, to me, that's that. 
I, 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 I remember that story they said when he took over, they, they, there were more instances of the N-word that popped up. And I just pictured these journalists sitting at home on their computer, going to the search bar and literally typing in the N-word to that's see what, how that's many... What they're doing. That's it. That's what they were doing. That's journalism that, today, Jason. Yeah, that is journalism. And, and the other thing is like, They'll, they'll, they'll journalism where they pull some random like Joe Bob three, two, two with like a really evil comment or a mean comment or a racist comment and present that as if it's like representative of, of a population. It's, it's like, unlike anything I've ever seen. So Twitter to them is like the easiest way to like fake journalism. They can't even really, I would say afford to let it to let it, uh, let it die by the wayside. They just want to control it. Mm. Uh, final one for you here, Jason, as we go into, uh, we're, we've already started the 2024 election, apparently. Uh, we had Donald Trump on and Glenn asked him, uh, hey, uh, are you gonna get back on Twitter? And he was, uh, he was not, uh, he did not want to commit to that. He, he was saying, I've got Truth Social and you know, I'm doing my stuff on Truth Social. But at the end of the day, as we get further on, do you think Elon Musk allows Trump back on the site? And do you think Trump comes back on? So he said today, he was asked about, so I think he let um, Kathy Griffin, Jordan Peterson, and the Babylon be back on Twitter today. So he did mm. his first wave of reinstatements, right? And he was asked, uh, or no, he wasn't asked, but he said, we haven't made a decision yet on Donald Trump. There's no reason, in my opinion, why he, like he, he didn't violate any terms of service of Twitter. So there's not a real reason for him to be banned in the first place. And so the only thing I can surmise from that is that he is having to consider the political and economic ramifications of allowing Trump back on the platform in that you can expect a lot of advertisers to to do their woke virtue signaling thing and say, we're not gonna spend money on the platform if Trump is on the platform. So the answer to your question is that I don't know, but I do know that that he, is going to spend a lot of time thinking about it because of that that economic impact that it's, it will have if Trump's back on the platform. If I if I had to make a bet, I'd say um, he's going to punt for at least another couple months and try to figure this out. And at the end of the day, I'd probably put it 60-40, he gets back on the platform. But I, I, I really I really could go either way because I think that's a tough one. I think he should be on the platform, but I get it. He's running a business. And man, these companies these days, they're woke and they're not afraid to, um, to to do that. And Twitter as an advertising platform is one of the lower ones for most companies. So it's an easy one to be like, I am, I am standing on my principles. I'm not going <laughs> to spend my money on Twitter if Trump's on it. So it's a, that's a tough spot for, for Elon to be in. I still think, too, I, I think the, the left, who does not want Donald Trump to be president again, misses an opportunity here oh. putting him back on Twitter. I don't think he helps himself on Twitter at all. I don't know why. They, they should be begging well, him to get back on it. The other thing, though, is like they, they tweet out his truth social posts as if he's on Twitter anyway. Right. Like they do it for him. So it's almost like what's the point of him not being on Twitter at this point? They just... The media can't live without their villains. Like they just can't do it. They need Trump. They need Elon. They always need the boogeyman. DeSantis is coming right up, right up the pike for them. So they'll always have their boogeyman, and they just can't live without him. It's amazing. It's going to be an exhausting next couple of years, uh, Jason. I'm, I'm exhausted today. Yeah, already, Jason Howerton, CEO of Reach Digital. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the program. I appreciate it, Jason. Thanks, brother.
You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do, and it can be much, much worse if you're not working with the right real estate agent. Every time you go through a real estate transaction, you need to have the best person on your side, and that's why realestateagentitrust.com exists. If you go to realestateagentitrust.com, you will find the best agent in your area, and basically what you do is you go there, give them some basic info, and the team is going to contact you and make the introduction to the preferred agent in your town. And these are people who are hands-on want to make sure you have a good experience. They've looked at all these agents, they've seen their results, and they've seen how they interact with other people, other past clients as well. They know who the best agents are, and if you go to realestateagentsitrust.com, you will too. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now, get the best agent in your town, realestateagentsitrust.com. Hakeem Jeffries is set to be the new Nancy Pelosi. Yes, exciting stuff. Jeffries is 52, Pelosi 82, so he got 30 years younger. Uh, he would be the first black House Democratic leader. Obviously, all jobs must break some sort of ceiling, and that's, uh, that's what the Democrats like to do. Um, it's Jeffries to lose, said one House Democratic aide, keeping close watch of leadership jostling, who asked not to be identified. Uh, you know, Jeffries is pretty, not really notable, uh, frankly, in Congress. He's kind of a boring uh, Democrat. He is kind of known as a, an election denier. He's one of these guys that constantly is saying Trump was not uh, legitimately elected. He's kind of been on this uh, train for a very long time. Uh, but that's what you'd expect the Democrats to do, to complain about election denying the entire time and then name one of the chief election deniers in Congress as uh, the, uh, the head of their party. That, that just is incredibly consistent with what you would expect out of Democrats. Biden will ask the Supreme Court to revive the student def- debt relief plan. Now, as you know, this is an unconstitutional plan. There's absolutely no one who could possibly look at this and think it's constitutional. Now, you could say you like it. You could say, I'd like to pay less debt. You could say, uh, I think the students should get debt relief. But you can't say it's constitutional. The Constitution quite clearly talks about how the funding of these programs must go through Congress. Congress has the pocketbook. We all know that. And of course, you know, Biden knows it as well. He just chooses to go around it. And look, this had nothing to do with student debt relief. This was a ploy to try to get younger voters uh, and people with student debt out to the polls. He knew the entire time this was going to fail. The only t- the only way that this was going to succeed would be if for some reason they couldn't get standing in one of these lawsuits, because as soon as it's going through the court system, it has no chance to succeed. So this is why they're like, let's just go to the Supreme Court. It's already been blocked in multiple local, uh, lower level courts. They want to go right to the Supreme Court to get this over with because they know that nothing can happen here for them that is good. The Supreme Court I would be shocked if they do not overturn this and throw it out entirely. And honestly, I'm going to hold out a little bit of hope here. I think you might get some Democrats on this, too. I think you might get a liberal or two on the Supreme Court to say, like, yeah, I think you might get Elena Kagan to say, okay, you can't do that. You know you can't do it, Joe, and give him a little bit of a backhand. I'd like to see it. I think it would be fun. Most likely it'll be 6-3 in a case like that, but we will see when we're talking about student debt relief. And finally... Uh, the this they, we like to call this the stew bill. I've been trying to pr- promote this bill in every state in the country. Um, and finally, Texas is listening. Yes, I think this should be the law. And some people think I'm nuts, but I think it's true. A Texas bill would now let a fetus 
count as a second person in the HOV lane. Yes, the important issues. Someone got a ticket, a woman, I can't remember her name now. I used to say free whoever she was over and over again because I, I was so behind her cause. She was pregnant and she got pulled over in the HOV lane and got a ticket. She got out of it because she said, I got a baby here. Roe versus Wade's overturned. This thing's a person and uh, you got to let me drive in the HOV lane. I think it's a, uh, she's a 100% right. 100% right. Yes, if you are pregnant, you should be able to drive in the uh, HOV lanes. Why wouldn't you? This is a person, and I'm completely comfortable with saying that it is. And uh, honestly, we all should be. It's pretty obvious. You know, when you have a, a human being uh, living inside of you for, for approximately nine to ten months, maybe, just maybe, maybe the HOV thing is the least we can do, you know? I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. I am with you, Texas. Pass the law. Fetuses are people, too. Back in a second. We were just talking about how a fetus is actually human life. They count just like the people standing around and walking, walking around your office and checking you out at the drive through at, uh, at uh, you know, Taco Bell. They all count. Fetuses are people, too. And, you know, the majority of mothers who hear their child's heartbeat when when they are uh, pregnant, they they uh, they wind up choosing life, even if they're considering abortion. And we just talked about this yesterday. Steph Curry's mom admitted on a podcast that she almost aborted Steph Curry, the greatest shooter in NBA history. Uh, why? Well, uh, she was on the fence and she said God came to her and, and told her, hey, don't do this. Look, whether you're the greatest shooter of all time or you're the person working at Taco Bell screwing up my order, I, I'm, I'll be angry at you when I'm going through the drive through. But the truth is you count. Everyone counts. Everyone deserves a chance at life. And that's why Preborn exists. You can sponsor an ultrasound and help a mother make the right decision for just $28, or you can get $140 and sponsor five ultrasounds. Preborn will even match your donation. Uh, we're going to try to save 50,000 babies this year between the Blaze and Preborn. We're well on our way, but we need your help. To donate, you can dial pound 250 and use the keyword baby. Pound 250, the keyword is baby. Or you can donate securely at preborn.com slash stew. Preborn.com slash stew. At the end of the year, you get the tax write-offs that can go on, and you can save a real human life. Why not do it? Please go to preborn.com slash stew. There's a great scene in the movie Argo. Uh, remember that one, Ben Affleck, and the, about the uh, the uh, Rush, or excuse me, the Iranian hostage uh, situation back in the day, and they're flying in or out of the city. I can't remember, and they they cross the the the, the line of Iran, and they have to collect all the alcohol and put it away because they're not allowed to serve alcohol in the uh, Iranian airspace. I just remember that because it's like, wow, what a, what a different world that must have been going into a place like that. It was you know completely dry country. Well. Here's the thing. If you were going to the World Cup, I have terrible news because you're about to go into a pretty much completely dry country. Yes, Qatar, Qatar, if it were, as it were, uh, is a uh, is hosting the World Cup. And literally like two days before the thing starts, they said, ah, we're not going to sell any beer. You can't get beer here. Now, as you know, soccer sucks. So the only way it's mildly enjoyable is if you're completely hammered. That's what soccer is terrible. And now people have to go to the World Cup sober. I think that the stands might be totally 
uh, totally empty. I will say uh, we do have a power hour coming up. That's on, uh, what is it? I'll tell you. I'll give the details here in a second. I don't remember them off the top of my head. We'll uh, get that information for you. But you can go to stewdoespowerhour.com and sign up to be here. Oh, there it is. Uh, December 9th, Friday, December 9th, power hour. It's the Christmas party power hour. Don't miss it. You can be here in studio with us. And here's the thing. I promise you, two days before December 9th, we will not cancel all beer for this particular program. Yes, in fact, the, the beer is most of the program. One shot of beer for, uh, per minute for an hour. It starts off coherent and ends very sloppy. So join us, studospowerhour.com. It's a lot of fun. The 2022 Christmas Party Power Hour. Join us on Friday, December 9th, studospowerhour.com. You've seen the media. We need Blaze TV now more than ever. Help us bring the message to more people. BlazeTV.com slash stew. If you use the promo code stand up, that might save you 30 bucks. Otherwise, use stew. You'll save 10. We'll see you next week.